0: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical
1: costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
1: I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carillo. This is Pam Shriver. I'm Stan Wawrinka.
0: I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. <laughs> So
2: the Wimbledon singles final lineups are set. It will be Ash Barty against Karolina Pliskova in the women's final tomorrow. That's Saturday, and on Sunday, it will be Matteo Berrettini aiming to stop Novak Djokovic from achieving the third leg of four slash five in his quest to achieve the calendar slash Golden Slam. And that is because Novak Djokovic beat Denis Shapovalov. In three sets today, and Matteo Berrettini beat Hubert Hercatch in four. But those set scores are so far from telling the stories of those two matches. I have Billie Jean cradled in my microphone arm. This is the best podcast recording setup I have ever had. I'm living out (laughs) all of my dreams right here. She's
3: just gently nodding off.
2: She is. It's all just glorious. Uh, David's here. Matt's here. We've just eaten Nando's, if If they want to send us a black card, that would be just fine. Uh, In the excitement of having Pam Shriver here yesterday, I let you both off the alliteration hook and I would like an adjective beginning with F with which you would describe today at Wimbledon. Matt, I think you should go first to give David some time to come up with at least half decent proposal. (laughs)
1: Um, Familiar? Fine.
2: (laughs) And as people tune out in their droves, (laughs) David, what's your submission?
3: Fiery.
0: Well,
2: you two had very different experiences of today.
3: (laughs) Yes, I think we did. Uh.
2: Was today fiery? You, You, Matt... Swerved the worst of today as well. <laughs> Matt strolled through the front door, having played, spent this morning playing tennis or early afternoon playing tennis,
1: practicing for Pam Shriver.
2: Practicing for Pam Shriver.
1: How did it go? Well, believe it or not, it was a draw. Oh, here we go. Yeah, we mm. split sets, and then our court time was up.
2: Which is exactly <laughs> what happened the last time prior to his receiving coaching from Pam Shriver. So. Sorry, Pam. Jury's out, I think. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, Matt strolls through the door uh, with Hubert Hercatch down two sets to love, having just dropped an excruciating six-love set. It was awkward. It was painful. Matt said, oh, what's happening? And Hercatch had just come back from his bathroom break at the end of that second set. And then suddenly he starts making a match of it and the crowd are going wild and trying to spur Hubert Hercatch onto this amazing combat. So... For you to so you're only welcome. call today fine after m- missing okay. the lowest point Yeah, okay, point but I
1: didn't miss anything fiery.
2: <laughs> no, you, you really
1: didn't. <laughs> no. Stop, don't start having a go at my words. <laughs> well, Catherine was picking on my words.
2: Well, what if, what are your, what's your word? I prefer your word. Oh, no, the tables are turning. Um... It's not hard, <laughs> really? isn't it? Not as <laughs> easy as you think. It's quite hard, isn't
0: it?
2: <laughs> See? Yeah. Um, so, Hubert catch <laughs> against Matteo Berrettini. Yeah. Seeing as we've arrived there, it, it it was awkward, that second set, David. It had a horrible feeling. It well, was a look away type I, I thought
3: the first two sets were, to be quite honest, because he came out and he... Wasn't he love 40 down in the first mm. service game? And he... Oh, dear, just looking in his eyes. You know, this is a guy who'd polished off Daniel Medvedev on that court. He'd come out and he was moved over from another court and he just looked at home and then he beats Federer in straight sets, drops the six love on him. And you're thinking, oh, this guy, he just handles this. And this was so different. I mean, he just looked like somebody who'd been asked to stand up in front of the school or something you know when he's (laughs) about eight in his pants (laughs) just suddenly thought suddenly realized he hadn't done his homework and he hadn't prepared or anything and and he was there and he was and and the problem is it's here's another one for you it's like it's like when you're getting picked for your for a school team for, for you've got to pick sides and somebody picks the guy with the beard and the the muscles who's already developed and then somebody picks and then the other team picks the one who's who's really young for their age that's what he looked like and he's up against Berettini who's this massive guy who's who just looked like he was he could throw him around like a rag doll um even though they're the same same height There's such a difference between them. And and Berrettini, you could tell Berrettini had come through his wobbles earlier in the tournament, just the sort of self-doubt. And he'd arrived at his seeding. He'd arrived where he's supposed to be in the draw. And this was a different guy. He just just decided he was going to take over. And you're right, Catherine, the look in her catcher's face at that point was, I don't know what to do. He was really, really struggling. He was wobbling. He couldn't find the court, really. And it was horrible. The the
2: forehand was ropey, wasn't it? Yeah, oh,
3: the forehand. When he got broken for a second time in that second set, he did two, one forehand that he dumped in the net, and then he sort of kind of shanked one long. It was all wobbly. It It was like the racket didn't really come out of his hand. It was just sort of stuck to it, <laughs> and, uh, and and total opposite to his backhand, which always looks so confident and comfortable. And the, the the direction of the traffic in the rallies of her cha- her catch trying to just go to the the Berrettini backhand, and Berrettini just trying to get to the <laughs> her catch forehand was was comical. But I mean, it could it could so easily have been all over in an hour and a half. And, and it's to, to his great credit, I think, that he made a match of that.
1: John McEnroe said on Today at Wimbledon that catch froze and he melted, which is, which is hmm. funny how two opposite things can mean pretty much the same thing in this instance, just a, a sort of breakdown of his game that meant he wasn't able to play like, like we know he can. Um, I I wasn't expecting that. From her catch. I mean, the way the way he won Miami so sort of coldly and efficiently. While others
2: froze around him. Exactly.
1: You know, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Medvedev, that was kind of their tournament. He was, he was the one who took it. Sinner in, in the final, wasn't it? Um, I guess it just shows how much of a bigger stage, bigger occasion. There's way more crowd here than there was in Miami. Just... It all adds up, doesn't it? Did he suddenly
3: start thinking actually, you know, people now in Poland, for instance, start to Mm. expect me to... I've beaten Mm. Federer, for goodness sake. I've beaten Medvedev. Surely I'm going to beat this guy. What Mm. You know, it's...
2: Or maybe it was because he wasn't wearing his hat. (laughs) I mean, I I joked to you all at the start of the match. I realised I I didn't think I'd ever seen Hubert Hercats play tennis without a hat on. I was very discombobulated by it. And frankly, it looked like he was discombobulated by it too. Goes out for his bathroom break after the second set, the Six Love set, comes back, hat on, set one.
3: Metamorphosis. <laughs> I mean,
2: still lost the match, but I would say keep wearing that hat, Hubie. Um, I th- as impressed as I was with her catch, making match of it in that third set and getting the crowd behind him the way he did, I was just as impressed, if not more so, by Berrettini winning and winning in four and stemming the flow from Hubert Herkatch and and not not doubting himself.
1: Mm. He broke in the first game yep. of the fourth set, having just dropped the tie break. If ever there was a moment that this match was going to get difficult for him, it was it was there. And he said, didn't he, in his post post match interview, which was another brilliant one from him he said, "I just felt really confident still. I knew I was playing well. I felt like the better player on court, and he just got back to what he was doing in those in those first couple of sets. And it was it was a really impressive fourth set from Berrettini.
3: He's got, he he's quite a no nonsense character, and I think he's got a fairly uncomplicated game because mm. he he has an enormous serve, an enormous forehand, and he's." trying to hide his weakness you know it's it's something we've had given to us as as the the formula by mary a couple of years ago of of what a tennis player needs and he's he's got it he's figured his out Uh, i think it was pat cash who said in our coverage today that he believes that berrettini has the most devastating one-two punch combination that he's ever seen and he he put he he cited for instance fernando gonzalez as a player who's who you could watch YouTube reels of spectacular forehands from, yep, but he's, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> highly recommended. Um, but in terms of just reliability, it's not like it's not like he has a flash of inspiration to start smashing his serve down and belting forehands. He can do it for set after set. That's his standard game, and uh, it does mean that it's on the opponent to just take that away from him somehow and and nobody's been good enough in the last Mm. three weeks
2: yeah I'm so impressed though because he could only lose today but and frankly he could only lose every match up until this point he was expected to win this is sort of repeating repeating our analysis of sort of every match of his up to this point and and going back to Queen's but it's it just sort of it's even more the case with every win how impressive it is that he's just doing it and and he had a little wobble didn't he against Felix Auger-Aliassime that wasn't a great a great match from either player and he didn't wobble today and that was a wimbledon semi-final i know he'd reached one grand slam final a uh, semi-final before at the us open but that was a wimbledon semi-final and he did not blink and i found that very impressive and he actually said after the match that the the hammering he took against Roger Federer uh, on centre court in the fourth round a couple of years ago, he felt like that helped him today. I don't know, m- maybe the feeling of, well, it can't go as badly as that.
3: But I love the fact that that stayed with him all this mm. time. I, I, I know that I've had experiences in my career, not on a tennis court, uh, but in, in life where uh, something has really bothered me you know something's gone wrong I've made a bad decision I've done something not not well and uh, and I can't put it behind me until I've put it right and I I suspect that he is the way he's spoken and the way I always go back to the the Instagram live he did with Chris just the way he spoke to her as this work in progress as this person who's Determined to understand his game and how to improve it, really made me look at him in a, a different light, and then he came and then the, the, the win over Hatchinov at the Australian Open, where he just had to show such perseverance to go with his blistering game because he got another guy down the other end with also a blistering game, and yet he won in three tie breaks. I just I find that really impressive
1: mm. and, and it's interesting this this pressure. Situation that he's in, where he is the favorite. He's been thrust into that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, if, the story of men's tennis over the last ten or fifteen years is is that if you're not one of the big four, maybe Wawrinka at certain times as well, you're pretty much always playing without that much pressure in these big matches because you're not expected to win them because those players have pretty, have pretty much always been there. But all grass court season, he has carried a an expectation that he should be winning matches. He said at Queen's, didn't he? I want to win this tournament. He was the number one seed, and he did. And he's done the same thing at Wimbledon. And he's not had, if we're being honest, the toughest draw. You know, he's he, he, he was in a part of the draw where Federer wasn't there, Djokovic wasn't there. But he's just done exactly what was required of him and I think that's really impressive because it's a new it's a new feeling for him and yet he's responded to it brilliantly and what you're saying there about his about his game David just how big it is that serve and that forehand how reliable it is sometimes you see big powerful players who can feel like they dictate the match on you know it's on their racket Sometimes they're very even in terms of winners and unforced errors. It's it's either brilliant or it's terrible. He's not really like that. I mean, his stats today: sixty winners, eighteen unforced errors. Goodness.
2: Fearsome stuff. It,
1: it, it, it's not. It doesn't feel all or nothing. He's got com- he's got cover on the ball. He does with the power.
2: C- could we spare a thought and a moment for Luca Berattini, Matteo's father, who had it. A- who had a difficult time today. <laughs> <laughs> He's the first
1: person I've seen in a Wimbledon player box with a with a vape. Oh, did he? Mm.
2: Oh, to, cal- to calm his nerves, mm. presumably.
1: Is he allowed I, I did wonder. Sure he, he, he wasn't using it, but he was holding it.
2: I, th- I I think maybe it's allowed in cases of existential crisis. Right. Which is <laughs> he was clearly going through. Very definitely, what was happening today.
3: He seemed to be pulling his. Cap further and further over his eyes, just to sort of. Try. And, yeah, and I'm sure I mean,
2: but Berrettini was sort of in control of the match for for most of its duration, and yet Luca Berrettini was just a mess. What's he going to be like? Absolute. I'm,
1: I'm worried for Sunday. <laughs> yes, he was pulling facial expressions. That would have been more appropriate if he was supporting her catch during the middle (laughs) portion of the match.
2: Absolutely, and his mum was just there, beaming with pride and filming him at the end. It was all warmth and loveliness from the. His brother were there. Was there? They could not look less alike.
3: (laughs) Really? Yeah. He's blonde. He's
2: blonde. Yeah. Oh wow! Blonde and was just sort of on his phone for most of the the match. It was very different vibes emanating from the uh, from the Berrettini. Player box. So that was Bertini making his way through to the final in the first match of the day. He then got to put his feet up. He said he was asked actually in his um, on-court interview whether he would watch the second match and he said, I don't think I'll be able to stop myself from at least keeping an eye on it. So presumably he watched a fair old bit of Denis Shapovalov against Novak Djokovic, which was a straight set win for Novak Djokovic, but one that Djokovic... I acknowledged himself uh, on the court afterwards and you, and you couldn't but acknowledge that it was it was so much more complicated than that and for a lot of that match, if not all of it, Shapovalov was the better player. I think he just didn't win the important
3: points. I, I would say he, he was... For all of the match, uh, he was in it. And for the first two sets, he was, throughout Throughout them, he was the better player. Yes, I agree with you. I mean, he was a break-up in the first set. And he immediately came out from the gun, just going for it. And in that way that, when he's on, he's just so much fun to watch. He does uplift you as, a, as a, an observer. If you like sport, you can't fail to, like what you're seeing with his shot making. It takes your breath away. And he was given the best of it that he's got. And then, I mean, he lost that first set and he, he shouldn't have done. He should have won that set. He got to 5-4-30 all. Um, and yet, I st- I've, I've, I find myself saying that and then I, th- I check myself because he didn't win it. And one of the reasons he didn't win it is because of the guy down the other end. And sometimes... The genius of Novak Djokovic goes unseen what he's doing to an opponent, the way he makes them choke, the way he narrows the the court, the feel of the court, and, and they end up missing. And that mental game is so strong. But it's funny, you know, we'll look back at that match in years to come and probably just see the score and probably move on. To be there, to commentate on it, to watch it, it was a very different experience. It wasn't seven six, seven five, seven five. In in reality, it didn't feel like that.
1: Yeah, obviously you can't prove this, but it it felt like Shapovalov would have beaten so many players today with how he played and the level he played. And yet, the reason he lost in straight sets was, yes, partly his inexperience and the way he still needs to improve in tight moments. But it, it felt like it was mainly down to Novak Djokovic down the other end, um, who not for the first time on, on any court, especially on centre court, I'm thinking the 2019 final against Federer is the classic example, just won without playing his best. And yet, saved his best tennis for the key moments in the match. He he is he's the best at that of just just when he needs to knuckling down, not missing, defending better than ever, forcing Shapovalov to hit extra shots. And he just he just timed it perfectly at the end of every single set. It was it was a it was a classic Djokovic win, really in that in that sense. And it, and it was also a classic of someone challenging Djokovic playing brilliantly but either not taking their break points I think Shapovalov missed a load especially in the first two sets or not closing out the set when he had the chance and those two things were just in tandem with one another.
2: Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I don't want to take, and I agree with everything you've said about the way Djokovic elicits these kind of performances from his opponents, and that being one of his greatest strengths. And it's, it's a tough sell that kind of strength because it's not dazzling in the way that Shapovalov's strengths are dazzling. And I, I don't want to detract from that, but I, I think you're being slightly kind to first set Shapovalov there. He definitely should have won that first set. The, the, the game. That he, where he was bro- serve, trying to serve he, out the set and he got broken. He
1: missed a horror forehand. That was what horror would call a cheapy. Yes, he missed a horror forehand at 5-4, 30-all. He had the whole yeah. court free and, and he went long with it. the reason
2: he was at 30-all is because he'd gone for a couple of... Sh- couple Shot selection-wise, I mean, again, I know that's what Djokovic does to you. He makes you think you've got to go for more, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it is also what Denis Shapovalov does in tight moments, he he quite often picks the wrong shot. I don't want to be down on Denis Shapovalov. And there was a point in this match when I thought I was going to be down on him on the podcast. And that was at two sets to love down because I felt like, I felt like it was familiar Friday. It all felt so predictable. He's played really well. He's challenged. He hasn't taken his chances. He's two sets to love down. But, that third set and the way he played in it um, and stuck with it um, and, and dug in and showed some resilience and really nearly took it to a fourth that I felt like that showed me something about, about Denis Shapovalov because everybody could feel the inevitability at the end of that second set. Everybody could feel it. He would have been able to feel it and, The way he kept fighting and left the court in tears, a wreck, really, and came into the press conference, still a wreck, a very composed wreck. He spoke extremely well. Um, But that is, I don't know, that's changed something slightly in my mind about Denis Shafvalov. And there was a a quote, actually, that really stood out from his press conference where he said... uh, I think what hurt this time is I feel like the game is there. I felt it was possible to win the trophy. It's a feeling I've never felt. I found that really interesting. You know, he—it's like he sort of went on the court with the attitude of "I'll give it a go. I'll try and convince myself I can win this," but really deep down, I know I probably can't. And actually, convinced himself in the process of it that it. It could be a reality. He said, I felt like from the back, I was out playing Novak. And yeah, that's perhaps not true in the third set, but definitely for the first set and a lot of the second set. And this is going to sound incredibly sadistic, but I loved those tears.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And actually Djokovic, I know he's, he's very generous. When he wins, he's very generous to opponents, typically. But he... His analysis of what went on in his first answer was was bang on. Uh, that he felt the scoreline was unrepresentative of what happened out there, and that probably Chapovalov was the better player for the first couple of sets. And I mean, look, to be honest, it felt more like a four-set win to me. It felt felt more like seven-six-five-seven. Seven Does that mean? Like, Does that mean we get the, predictions the points? points, please?
2: No. I so desperately need them.
3: Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, like, um but I um I, I do feel like this is something to build on for Shapovalov. He needs to he needs to remember that feeling of mm. I I I could have won this. Mm. Whether I don't actually personally I don't believe that because I think there's still a big difference between the two, even at top level Shapovalov at the moment. He can he he played close to his best, I think, and he didn't win a set. And and
2: because of his mind, though not because of his tennis.
3: But but yes, but that's what Djokovic did. His tennis did. is there. And, and you know when I, I we just saw the the Wimbledon highlights shown, Tim Henman said he, he would have given Djokovic about a six and a half out of ten today. And John McEnroe was up in arms about that. And frankly, so am I because he didn't try to play spectacular tennis. He didn't try to out hit or. You know, take on Denis Shapovalov at his own game. He played his game. He played lockdown tennis and w- managed to win and manage the situation. And I think that says everything about him.
1: Um, oh, it, it was it was ten out of ten for what Djokovic was trying to do, for sure. I mean, mm. it was it was ex it was an expert performance, as you said, just. Just managing the match, it was it was perfect. He got it done in straight sets against a guy who was playing pretty much as well as he can. Yeah, but it I think
2: w- it was Gareth Southgate's England against against Croatia,
1: mm. or, or, or or the Czech or Republic. The Czech Republic. Mm. Yeah, um, but I think Djokovic can play more expansively than that, and more. Adventurously, I'm not
3: sure he could against Shapovalov playing like that. I don't think there's room. I think you 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 cut your cloth.
1: Possibly. I I felt in the first set he wasn't timing the ball particularly no, he, well. He looked
2: really tight to me in the first set. That arm it, that arm was not loose. Definitely, he was dropping the ball, dropping the ball quite short. And Chapovalov made the most of it. I, I I it struck me, it struck me that Denis Chapovalov is is just the wrong amount of young at the moment a, a graphic flashed up on the screen mid-match but a possibly unfair one or a slightly misleading one about him only ever having one top five win and that was actually in his first ever match against a top five player the match he won against Nadal in 2017 in Montreal he's not beaten a top five player since then now look I know top five wins are hard to come by. Most of those matches are against Nadal, Federer, Djokovic. I think there was one against Verov.
1: Verov, team and Anderson.
2: Verov, team and Anderson. So look, yeah, make of that statistic what you will, but he's not so young that he's completely fearless and going on court with nothing to lose, but he's not old enough to have the experience of these matches and these moments yet. So he's kind of, caught in between I think that's mentally quite a difficult place for him to be and the next couple of years are the sweet spot because if you linger in that place too long the mental baggage accumulates and you're too far away from the fearlessness of of youth you you need to start converting the experience into wins before the experience becomes baggage and I really hope that that is the case and today, and particularly his reaction today to today, gives me restored hope and that is a dangerous place to be with Denis Shapovalov but slightly renewed hope that he will do that.
3: Mm, I agree. Uh, and also, because he can actually play on all the surfaces, he's got a chance, really, To he now needs to build incrementally, really, from where he is, rather than these... Veering, this veering graph that that he's had over the years of going up and down, and uh, I I would like to think that that experience will will just make him reapply himself.
2: He 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 had that thing of just suddenly looking completely shattered. Remember Federer saying after his losses, he was asked, how do you feel right now?" and he said, "Mostly, I just feel exhausted because this Pam was talking about it yesterday, wasn't she? The second you go out of a tournament." It all just hits you, and it seemed like that with Denis Shapovalov. He was asked about uh, his decision not to play the Olympics, and he said it's largely down to the restrictions and the bubble. He said, "I've been here a month; it's been great. I've made the most of it, but I can't face it anyway. He said, well, "I can I- understand I'm, that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm well, I've, I can't quite remember his turn of phrase, but it was quite powerful. Really, it was a bit of a gut punch.
3: Have had enough, really?
2: Yeah, um, and he can't face doing it again and." Yeah, it's another reminder, isn't it, of uh, of what the players are putting themselves through. And look, I know it's not what, you know, a lot of people are suffering in relation to this pandemic, but it's not nothing.
3: No, it's not. But just a couple of stats, by the way, that uh, first of all, those break points, I think it was something like in the second set, it was five break points in the set that, that Shafalov had and he took zero of them and Djokovic only had the one and he took it and that was the, that was the set over but the, the stat that struck me more than ever was something Matt gave me towards the end of the first set when I knew I was about to comment out on the second set of the difference in win-loss at Grand Slams for Djokovic when he wins the first set versus when he loses it I could not, I mean I can believe it but it's just so eye-watering that when he loses the first set at a Grand Slam, he's virtually 50-50 for the the match. 35 wins, 34 defeats, and that compares to Nadal, who's 31 wins, 32 defeats. So they're very similar. Federer was 39, wins 43 defeats. But if Djokovic gets the first set on the board, he's won 268 and lost 5 Um, How many
2: of those five against Wawrinka?
1: Three of them. He's the only guy who was able to consistently beat Djokovic after dropping the first set.
2: Very sad about the past tense there, but it's probably a reality. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he drops the first set and he goes, got you right where I want you. Yeah. (laughs) But that is unique. Yeah, it's it's a
1: unique Stan Wawrinka quality. Rafa Nadal did it once and Jürgen Meltzer did it once managing the five Open. sets,
3: and the only bloke who's ever really been made, arguably even better at it is is Varenka In that certainly, in that
1: little microcosm mm. between the two, yeah. And a terrible name drop, but when Billie Jean King was in this room, <laughs> she she was talking about that, and she said the first set is so key. Actually, it,
2: it, what happened, Matt, was you said that, and she hard agreed with you. <laughs>
1: Matt and Billy Jean King bonding <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and and you would think in five set tennis that it wouldn't matter as much that you would have more time to get back into the match but those Djokovic stats disprove that theory and look I need to look into it more maybe it is the case that there are more comebacks from players who lose the first set over five compared to over three but if I mean, another stat that we heard today is that Berrettini has never lost a match on grass when he's won the first set.
2: No. Yes, 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 yeah.
1: So the first set in Sunday's final Mm. feels absolutely key. I can imagine that being a tiebreak set. (laughs) Unless, I
3: mean, obviously we we don't know whether Berrettini will be able to cope with this situation. Well, what do we think? I think he will. Personally, yeah, I, I think I, he will. I, tr- I, I trust too. his serve. I trust his... He's such a workmanlike player. For somebody as explosive as he is, he's also very workmanlike.
2: Since Leon, Leon Smith uh, was on Five Live for you earlier and um, I was listening to him during the first match, the Hercatch berrettini match, and there was some chat about who Djokovic would prefer to get through, who he would prefer to play in the final. and And Leon was... Was pretty adamant at this stage. The Herkatch-Baratini match was in very early stages, all hung in the balance. Um, The the fact that Herkatch can't play without his baseball cap had not come to anybody's attention at that (laughs) stage, Um, and Leon was pretty adamant that cheap points are everything when you face Novak Djokovic because the relentlessness of being in rallies against him, the relentless pressure of it is simply too much to handle if you're doing that on every point. You need some respite in the form of cheap, easy points. And, yeah, I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure someone listening to this is going to look up his record against big servers and tell me that it completely disproves that point. But it makes total sense to me.
1: Yeah, and, and, and Berrettini is a big server, but he has a massive forehand as well he has a good backhand slice he's got way more facets to his game than the classic big servers you think of in men's mm. tennis is no Novak Karlovic he's he's way better than them yeah all i mean round. he
2: can rally with djokovic but obviously rallying with djokovic is is not. That doing that on every single point is not the route to winning the Wimbledon title.
3: Uh, it, I think that the... he will
2: need that serve, mm. and I d- I'm trying to think of past matches. The French Open match was obviously four set. How was Djokovic at picking the Berrettini serve? Well,
1: he was great at it early on. I mean, I think didn't he win the first? Well, well, what was weird about that match is it is the curfew hit halfway mm, through gosh, it, yeah. and yeah. Berrettini was playing really well, and I think was troubling Djokovic causing him some problems and then Djokovic completely took over when it went behind closed doors Um, I think I think what we learned from that match is that both Berrettini can hurt Djokovic but also but also Djokovic can exploit parts of Berrettini's game and ultimately that is what I would expect to happen again on Sunday I think Berrettini I'm pretty sure Berrettini if he turns up which I think he will I think he'll have the game to win a set.
3: Well, I mean it was for Djokovic it was 6-3 6-2 6-7 7-5 that mm. match against Berrettini at the French Open and this is what I recall from it. That, those 6-3 6-2 first two sets he was just handcuffing mm. Berrettini behind the baseline because he was picking his his serve or at least the difference with Djokovic is when he gets a racket on the on the return, it's not just getting it back in play; it's shoving it back down the middle and landing it on the little mark in the centre of the baseline, and that's that's where all the thought marks have been and where all the bad bounces are going to come. Hmm. And and there's no real chance for Berrettini to then get on top. That's the pro- I mean, you, you I think you're absolutely right, Catherine he needs to some cheap points so somehow he's got to hit his marks well enough on that serve that he gets some unreturnables some aces and enough returns that he can follow up with that forehand and that's what i think will will get him to a, a first set tiebreak i think he can do it i think he's serving better than he was at Garros. he is he's more effective on grass i think he will get himself into a first set tiebreak question is whether he can win it
1: mm. Mm. It's funny, just thinking about that match now at the French Open, I've realised that that was a different Novak Djokovic in my mind because that was before the Nadal match. Hmm. And going into that Nadal match, it seems ridiculous now. But I genuinely had some doubts about Djokovic. You know, I mean, I know he, he won the Australian Open at the start of the season. And he had mentioned how he was so focused on the slams more than ever at this stage in his career. But, you know, he'd lost to Karatsev. He'd lost to Dan Evans. He hadn't actually looked that impressive between the Australian Open and the French Open. And I genuinely was just wondering where his game was at. But ever since he beat Nadal, I suddenly think he's unbeatable.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
1: That match has changed my perception of him massively this season. I think
3: it might have even changed his own perception I think it a little bit. He, he, I think, in his mind, is going all out for everything this year. The ones that matter, we know, but, and I think he concrete believes.
2: And, and, f- and fronting up about it as well, he said in his press conference afterwards, he said, he was. I think he was asked about how much crowd support he can expect because you know we all remember what it was like the last time he played a Wimbledon final and there definitely is a I feel like there's a wariness about him towards the Wimbledon crowd possibly I mean it's cumulative but largely due to that experience two years ago he's he's perfectly charming in fact it seems like he's making extra effort to to be charming in his post-match interviews he's really engaging with Rishi Passad who's who's doing them for for the BBC Um, But I just sense in his demeanour, there is a a wariness and a slight defensiveness about him towards the Wimbledon crowd, entirely understandably. Anyway, he was asked about it in his post-match press and he said, I hope I'll get some support. I hope that the crowd will understand what I'm trying to do this year.
3: Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah. Well, it'll be very interesting to see whether that plays out in the final because they will go for the underdog because that's something that happens in sports particularly in this country I think more than any others I, th- I think I think in America yes they they go for people they love but they don't mind a winner you know they want they want to support a champion a lot of the time um, and there certainly seems to be more people celebrating everything Djokovic does in certain other countries in Britain they will go for Berrettini they will like the idea of going for this guy who's never won it before and is challenging the all-time great. But it will be very interesting um, if Djokovic gets close, whether the re- realisation of actually, yeah, three legs of, of the, the Grand Slam and three out of the five, if you can include the gold medal, whether that becomes a factor. Because it it is interesting to be part of history. Um, I mm-hmm. certainly think if we get to the US Open... That that will be very interesting as a story uh, to oh, follow.
2: It'll be the
3: story. All three of them at the US Open on
2: 20, with Djokovic on for a calendar slash golden slam. I mean, it's just unthinkably massive, with Serena possibly playing her last slam. Anyway, somewhat <laughs> ahead of ourselves. Do you think Americans think... We're all snivelling, pathetic losers for our attitude towards underdogs. <laughs> I don't know. There because is... you're right, they do. They're like, well, we were, we we're winners.
3: Yeah, uh, there's definitely a difference in, in attitude. We are, I mean, I do think, and I'm the same. I, if I'm in a, a sporting arena, I will usually end up pulling for the underdog. I'm sure that's just my, my Britishness coming out and what we are conditioned to be like. And I don't even know really where it comes up from. up sort
2: of Eddie the Eagle type stories?
3: <laughs> I, don't, I really do <laughs> Well, we're all blooming embarrassed by our own shadow half the time, aren't we, as, as people mm. in this country? I, I, don't, I don't really know what, what's, what the, the origin of it is, but I definitely feel it.
2: You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Will Centre Court be pulling for Carolina Plushkiver then?
3: That's a very good question. See, Ash Barty is probably more in the Roger Federer mold yeah. of being a world number one and a favorite who, I don't know, maybe it it's just people It feels like it would be her.
2: rude to pull against Ash Barty. Mm. Like she is, she's so human and likable and we've all seen the picture of her with the trophy when she was seven years old <laughs> or whatever and you, you can't pull against that face.
1: No, I think that's so true. I think it's more that than anything. And and also her tennis is joyful mm. and Carolina Pliskova's tennis <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was fantastic in the semifinal. It was it was really thrilling, actually. It was it was exciting to watch her play like that. It is not always like that. I think that's fair to say.
3: Yeah.
1: If she mm. brings it, I think her tennis will rouse support. But from the start I would expect Ash Barty to have more support um, because I don't think there's a really clear underdog in the way that there is in Berrettini Djokovic, I mean I think Barty's the favourite but it's it's not as much of a favourite as Djokovic is
3: mm. Barty's just immensely popular isn't she she's, she is she's, I think people find her relatable the way she talks and they love watching it Mm. I mean it's it it is the closest thing I can imagine to Federer in terms of the way she plays and the way she talks now there's a real change in the way she talks
1: publicly it's um infectious
3: Mm.
2: yeah
1: Mm. well she she said out loud hasn't she There's, there's been this sort of theme of her press conferences this tournament is the fact that she said out loud that she has always dreamt of winning Wimbledon. And she said it in her own court interview that it would be a childhood dream fulfilled if, if she does win on Saturday. And, yeah, that is indicative of someone who, as we were talking about yesterday with Pam Shriver, is, is I think, um, more confident in who she is. Um, no longer... Well, not afraid of falling short. I think she might not have said that before because... She was perhaps worried that she might f- fall short. I think she, she's not worried about that anymore. She's so confident in her own approach to the sport, and I think I think that's connected with a lot of people that that she has had that, in her words, courage to sort of lay out her ambitions in front of everyone. I think I think people respect that and and understand that she's you know, in her words, she's been on that sort of journey, hasn't she? Of mm you know in tennis it's been it's uh, her road is such a different one to everyone else's
2: i've just had another vision of the uncertain future to to bring you barty wins wimbledon wins the us open goes to australia playing for the career slam
3: <laughs> <laughs> i love
1: this podcast just gonna throw that out there
3: <laughs> Could happen. She's only won the one.
1: <laughs> well, Could happen. Well, home players winning their home slam is something that we've not had a great deal of in tennis besides American women in America
2: mm.
1: recently. Obviously, Andy Murray's done it at Wimbledon, but I, I would love for Ash Barty oh. to win the Australian Open. I just...
3: I should Imagine I that. mean I agree with you but I, I tell you an Australian winning Wimbledon is quite a sight I remember it mm. from Leighton Hewitt how it took me aback how much that meant to him and it took me aback hearing your interview with Pat Rafter last year when when he let in let us in to his heartache at having not won Wimbledon and that all our eyes were focused on Goran and the fact that he's now okay. Well, Pat Rafter made it very clear that to some degree he wasn't okay about Mm. it even now. Um, He's he's okay enough, but it still hurts him. And Barty, yeah, talked about it as the most important tournament in the world, really. Even though that home Grand Slam would be an incredible thing if she could put it off. That's more, I, I feel like that's more pressure. That's more kind of... I hope I can do it because it's my home Grand Slam. Whereas winning Wimbledon is just the stuff that dreams have made of uh, for for her. And um, yeah, th- that's going to be really emotional if she wins it. And I'm sure it'll be emotional if Karen and the wins it for a completely different reason. She because of the doubts and uh, m- the absolute mm-hmm. assumption from me. I, I I do not expect her to win a Grand Slam. I said it before and I still say it now. Um, but she might just make me look a fool tomorrow.
2: 2pm on Saturday. Tomorrow, the women's final. Barty against Plushkova, followed by the women's doubles final. Veronica Kudermetova and Elena Vesnina, who, of course, uh, won the title Love and Love, didn't she? Alongside... Who was Vesnina's partner?
3: Was was it Ma-
1: M- Makarova? Mac- Makarova, mm. yeah, yeah.
2: There we go. Um, and, and
1: they saved multiple match points today, mm, I believe. A, yeah. A, a, a re- bit of a thrilling comeback.
2: Yes. They will play Sue Shea and Elisa Mertens in the women's doubles final tomorrow, followed by the men's doubles final. Nikola Mektic, Mate Pavic, the top seeds against Marcel Granoyas and Horatio Zeballos. Uh, it will be Harriet Dart and Joe Salisbury that play the mixed doubles final on Sunday. Extraordinary stuff from them to win through today. And they will face either Neil Skubsky and Desiree Kravchick or John Piers and Zhang Shui, who play tomorrow on court number one for a place in that
3: final i'm covering that tomorrow are you yeah i'd be quite Ooh. interested to watch that
2: oh nice so it could be three brits in the mixed doubles final I,
3: I, when i was doing that mixed doubles match the other night with Neil Skupski involved there was just this, the margins were, were, were on display there in the first set tie break jean-julien roger hit a forehand on set points that missed by about half a centimeter and then they lost the match from there um and yeah and, and the crowd was so into that I mean it's uh it's one of the things I love about Wimbledon is how into the doubles they are and they stay for the doubles and they get passionate about it and uh and yeah I'll be there on court one looking forward to that
2: We had a result today and some champions in the quad wheelchair doubles and that was Andy Lapthorne of Great Britain and David Wagner, his American partner, beating Dylan Alcott and Sam Schroeder, 6 one 3 6 6-4 6-4 to win the quad wheelchair doubles title. The other wheelchair singles and doubles finals are over the weekend. We had semifinals today so we'll keep you posted on that and the junior results as they come in. I think that's it for fiery familiar Fine. Fine. <laughs> <It's> fine. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed Fine Friday. <laughs> fine. Um, we'll Stand be back. by it. We'll be back <laughs> with Um, Super Saturday tomorrow so join us for that we'll have Zeus, Scousel, Mousel and Rogue with us we'll have Mocker, our mascot we'll have Billie Jean and Billie Jean King Uh, Chris Albert-Lee will be our executive producer as he was today and every day and we'll have shout outs, Matt who are they for today?
1: Chris Loomis Hi Chris
2: Chris. Like Chris Albert-Lee
1: Cool name Thanks for your support Jacob Carabell.
2: Oh, like Caramel.
1: <laughs>
2: Lovely. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jacob.
1: Like Jacob Murphy,
3: the footballer, who apparently got a six-year contract for Newcastle today. I was amazed.
2: That's that's a long <laughs> old contract. Okay.
3: <laughs> yeah, but Jacob, our backer, is
1: magic. And Sean Fitzpatrick. Right, oh, Sean. Oh, classic. Yeah. Cheers, Sean. Sean came to our live show, I think. Hey, is Sean Irish?
2: Because that's a very Irish name.
3: Hmm. Possibly.
2: Don't Don't know. But (laughs) Matt Matt loves it when I have follow-up questions. (laughs) He has no idea what the answer
1: is. (laughs) I even provided extra information and got asked for more.
2: Thank you very much, Sean. Let us know if you have any Irish heritage. We'll be back with two more tennis podcasts from this Wimbledon, starting with the women's final reaction. And look ahead to the men's final tomorrow. We will see you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.